All right. So yeah, it is. It is honestly really good to be back. Um, you know, with uh, with the church community. Uh, as I was sharing, I uh, so I turned forty four years ago, and it's all been downhill pretty much since then. And uh, so I got sciatica, pinched nerve, and it was like crazy. Uh, I just want to say thank you for everybody's prayer. I know a lot of people were praying. Um, I got a gazillion texts. I'm trying to catch up, but I have like 890 emails right now. It's just been nuts. Um, but I really am thankful. I want to say thankful for a couple uh, people. Number one, I am super thankful for Dawn. Um, Dawn basically made everything happen. She just did everything. So I think we should give her a round of applause. <clears throat> she, um, you know, Dawn and I, we co-lead and, uh, and that might, you know, we haven't spent a lot of time talking what that looks like, but we when God called us to Red Bluff, we really felt like God was calling us to co-lead together. And what we've been trying to figure out all along these seven years is what that looks like. And it looks different, but we basically have just figured out like we, when we both function in our giftings, like Don does not really love being in front of everybody. Um, she's so good at one-on-one stuff and she does all these behind the scene things. And so uh, she had to kind of do that, but also she preached and she helped organize things. Um, We also had Terry Rapley. We had a ton of volunteers that stepped up and our board was amazing too. So I just want to say thank you to all those people. And I think if you're part of this church, you should be grateful for them as well. Um, And uh, so I've been going to physical therapy and all these different things. And last Tuesday was the best day ever because my physical therapist said that I should go fishing. And I was like, I was like, could you say that one more time so Don could hear you, you know? And, uh, and so I was like, thank you. And I gave him 20 bucks when we were done. But anyway, uh, so, so last Saturday, um, last Saturday, a terrorist attack happened in Israel. And, you know, as I was watching the news, you know, what we saw was that uh, a lot of civilians were murdered, including um, elderly people, women, children, babies, um, absolutely evil and despicable, and I mean, it's just like overwhelming to watch. And and this uh, in turn triggered a response, as I think it should, um, for for the the country of Israel, uh, to where there's now a war going on. Um, and unfortunately, I think this is going to continue to lead to innocent people dying on both sides of of uh, of the Palestinians as well as the Jewish people, and it's just really sad and terrible. And and immediately uh, after that happened, I started having a lot of people reach out to me by text or phone calls or just conversations. And there was like four questions that, that people kept asking. And the first question was, is this the end times? Is this the end times? Are we in the end times? And then uh, some people were asking, you know, well, what does the Bible teach about Israel? Like, how should we think about the nation of Israel and how that fits into God's plan in the future? Um, and then there were some people who were curious about whether or not we should look at the Palestinian people as our enemies. And then there were other people who I think maybe more, um, maybe more negatively thinking and feeling like, is this the end? Are we about to experience some type of world war that's going to annihilate everybody? And so I did my best to, you know, field a lot of those questions and I shared some different writings, um, uh, with some people. Uh, this happens to be a subject I have spent a lot of time studying and reading. If you go in my library, I probably have, you know, a couple hundred books on these topics. And 
Uh, and so I was answering all those questions and sharing some things that I've written in the past about it. And then I thought, hey, you know what? Uh, maybe we should talk about this. So I talked to our leadership team. I sent a message to everybody. I said, what do you think about us ta- uh, tackling this for uh, the next couple of weeks? And everybody said yes. And so here we are. Um, we're going to s- discover together uh, that the scriptures are practical. And that's one of the things I want to just remind everybody here. Um, if you're not reading this book, you should. Amen? Like, the Bible actually has something to say about a lot of different topics. And I actually think that there's no topic that any of us can come up with um, wondering what does God think about that we, we can't find in Scripture. Um, meaning that as we reflect on the teachings of Scripture, it applies into every area of our lives. And so, like, any of the big questions that people have in life, and there are a lot of really complex questions that people have, Scripture does have something to say about it. Um, like I, I've used it as, as an example, um, non-church people, people who are outside of the church, are wrestling with big questions too. And like some of the examples that I've used in the past is there's a lot of people who don't go to church who are trying to reconcile how a loving God can allow evil or can allow suffering in this world. Like, do we, do we all agree that that's a question that people we know are wrestling with? Right? And so they're wrestling with it. Well, Scripture actually does have something to say about that. Um, and so any, any current event I think that we experience, we can look to Scripture. And that's why the church has for 2,000 years has said that, that Scripture is the final authority for us. It's the final authority for how we should think and how we should believe and what we should do. And so we're going to kind of see that as we spend some time talking about it uh, over the next couple of weeks. Um, we're going to be leaning into the, the, the topic of Israel, the church, and the end times. And so we're going to spend the next three, three weeks doing that, and we're actually going to go about it backwards. We're going to talk about Israel, the church, and the, the end times over the course of this series, but today we're actually going to jump into the last days, the end times question. Is, are we in the last days? Should we all be, you know, um, selling everything and uh, building some type of a hidden underground compartment that contains all these canned goods? Should we be doing that, you know? Um, I, when we lived in Wisconsin, uh, we were in this rural town. My wife and I pastored there for like 12 years. And I'm pretty sure that if the end time apocalypse happened, that's where we should live. Because everybody in our community was able to, they all owned a million guns, more so than here. They all packed their own ammo and they all had canned goods everywhere. You know, and it was like, if the zombie apocalypse happens, we're good. Then we moved to California, and I thought it was going to be all liberal, progressive, and then I got here, and I was like, no, I think Red Blood's probably pretty close. Pretty close to that type of environment, too, because there's a lot of conservative values in our community as well. And, and, and yet the question remains is, do we need to do that? Should we, should we live our lives in a way that we, we just are consumed by fear and worry, and are we entering into the the last days. And so I want to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, before we do that, let's pray. I think praying would be a good thing to do. So Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. We thank you for being here with us. And this is a serious subject and a topic that is on the hearts and the minds of many people in this room. And so I ask Holy Spirit for you to give us grace, help us to be Um, not just hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word today, as James says, and that we would receive your teaching, receive your word um, 
as, as it is given to us, that is, is it is true. And if there's anything that I share today that is not, um, not true, Lord, I pray that you would just block it from our minds and that we would be able to know more about you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk about fear and cynicism a little bit, uh, because like when I was about nine years old, this is kind of my story. When I was nine years old, by the time I was nine years old, I had been taught that there was going to be this big trumpet. And when the trumpet sounds, Jesus is going to rapture the church. And then if you were left behind, it means you were not a good person. You didn't know Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. That's what I thought. Nine years old, I was uh, in Alaska. It's where I grew up. My sister and I were sitting in the car. My mom said, hey, listen, I'm running into the, into the store. I'll be right out. And while she was in, my sister and I heard this loud trumpet. And we were like, that's it. It's happened. And then we sat there and we're like, we're still here. What is going on? And my mom came out and we were like, we were hyped up. We were like, oh my gosh, mom, did you hear that? And my mom was like, no, what is it? We, the trumpet, the trumpet happened. Jesus has returned. We've all been left behind. What's going on? And my mom's like, oh, I didn't hear it. And we're like, I mean, I was significantly impacted like at, at that young age. I was like, oh my gosh. That was one of the first times that I really got serious about like, I need to figure out this Jesus thing, okay? And uh, really, very quickly after that, um, there, was, there was some books coming out. In fact, um, you know, there were a ton of books back then written on the subject of end times. And, and so for me, I think what's happened is, is there's a lot of people in the church who have, two, there's two things that kind of influence our thinking about the end times. It's either fear or cynicism. And it's, it's fear because like we've, we've heard or we've seen some things or we might have read one or two verses and we're convinced that if the end times happens, the, the Antichrist is going to come along and we're all going to get our heads chopped off. Okay. And then there's other people who are like, I have literally been hearing about this end times thing forever. It's like, I'm now just cynical about it. Can we just talk about Jesus? Okay. There's these two, two things where there's a lot, of, a lot of fear and a lot of cynicism. And let me tell you a couple of the reasons why. Okay. We're going to talk about, we're going to find out the age of some of the people in the room. Okay. How many of you remember the, the movie in the 70s, Thief in the Night? Just be honest if you do. Anybody? All right, some of you do. And I, like, I watched these movies when I was a kid in the, in the mid-80s, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's so scary. I mean, they are actually, like, can you imagine being a six or seven-year-old watching these movies about the end times and the mark of the beast and these armies arresting everybody and everybody getting punished and capital punishments happening all over, okay? So there was those movies. There's always the Left Behind books. Anybody read Left Behind? Yeah, a few of you have, yeah. I've read a lot of those too. And, and then there was a book that came out in 1987 called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is in 1988. And here's what's crazy. Like 450,000 copies of that book were sent out to pastors all over the U.S. for free, okay? And the, the author said, Unless if the, the only way that Jesus does not return in 1988 is if the Bible is wrong, okay? And he had a follow-up that uh, came out a year later about how he was wrong, and it was actually 1998 or 89, I guess. And then he wrote two other books about how Jesus was going to return in 1993 and 1994. Can you understand why there's a lot of people who are cynical out there? <laughs> right? It's like, come on, right? 
And, and so there's a lot of people, I think, who have those two, those two vibes, those two feelings, where it's like, on one hand, there's a lot of fear anytime there's, there's calamity or war or, or things that feel like or seem like, or maybe we heard about being connected to end times, these feelings come over us. And then there's a lot of people who have just been hearing this because literally every generation since Jesus has had somebody saying that we are in the last days. So the question we're going to talk about today is whether or not we are in the last days and how we should think about that, okay? So people are either consumed by fear or they're or worry, or they don't want to even talk about it because they're just cynical. That's kind of the, the vibe. Um, so how should we think about the end times? Let's just think about that for a little bit here, or the last days. You know, when, when will that happen? And is today's war in Israel a sign of the last days, or is it something else? That's kind of what I'm getting at. So here's the deal. I'm going to answer the question really quickly, okay? We have been in the last days, or the end times, since Jesus was resurrected and since the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, okay? We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. And and I'm going to just share three passages of Scripture really quickly just because that's what the Bible teaches, okay? And the first example of this is found in Acts chapter 2. So really quickly, to put this into context, after after, uh, Acts chapter 1 is after Jesus has been, been crucified, right? And so Jesus has been crucified, and he's, he's been raised from the dead, and the early Christians are freaking out because they're trying to figure out what just happened. Jesus was crucified. Now he's been resurrected, and they're like, what are we supposed to do? And so the church is gathered, and they're praying, and as they're praying, in the beginning of Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. 120 believers are, are filled with the Holy Spirit, They begin to have manifestations of the Holy Spirit, including speaking in tongues. They speak in other languages that they had not ever spoken in. It's like absolute outpouring of the Holy Spirit, okay? And so people are trying to figure out what's going on. So some people are like, maybe maybe they've been drinking all day, okay? You know, how are we supposed to understand this? And this is when Peter stands up and he's like, listen, let me interpret what has happened right now. And this is what we read. It says, Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Take a personal note about that for some of you in the room, okay? After nine, it's okay. Before nine, not Okay. No, what you see was predicted long ago. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes from Joel chapter 2. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. So Peter says in the first century that this is a fulfillment of the promises and the prophecy of Joel chapter 2. Those were the last days. Does that that make sense to everybody? He's saying the last days is beginning right here. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church wasn't last days or an end time sign. That's how they could know that they were in the last days. Okay. Another passage of scripture really quickly 
uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about the, the journey of the people of Israel through the wilderness. He's referring to that. He says, these things happened to them in Exodus and in the Old Testament as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. So when this was written in 52 AD, about 20 years after Jesus was resurrected, Paul is saying at that moment, they were in the, they were in the end of the age. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah. And then one more passage really quickly. I love this Hebrews chapter one. It says, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures there. He says, and now in these final days, or in other translations, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. So I, I think it's, there's no other way around it uh, other than for the church to recognize, and the church has always recognized that we're in the last days. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years, okay? So let's all take a deep breath. Okay, just that's, that's the reality. Now, here's the thing. Because we're in the last days, should we live in fear with cynicism or should we live with something else? That's the question, okay? We're going to talk about that just for a couple more minutes here. I want to talk about this idea of, in, in light of the fact that we live in the last days, and we've been in the last days since Jesus' resurrection and since the outpouring of the Spirit, since we've been in the last days, we should live with confident hope. We should live with confident hope. You know, according to Scripture, as we just saw, we are in the last days. Um, but I think it's easy to understand why people might be super afraid of that, though. Like, I get it. I totally get it. When I used to watch those movies or read some of those books, I'd be like, oh, my gosh. You know, like, it's so scary. How are we going to live? What are we going to do? I, I get that. But I think the whole point of the teachings of Scripture is to orient us in a different direction and to ground us in a reality that actually causes us to have confidence in our relationship with Jesus and to have hope that God is going to work everything out. And one of the reasons why I think we can have confident hope is because Jesus promised that he would always be with us until the end of the age until the end of the age. He says this in the Great Commission where he tells the church that we're supposed to go out and make disciples. We're supposed to teach people to obey his commandments and to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, listen, you're supposed to go do that. And I don't know about you, but when I think about how heavy that responsibility is, it is a little bit overwhelming. Can you think about the fact that Red Bluff has 14,000 or so people and that we as followers of Jesus have a responsibility to help them to come to know Jesus? Is that not overwhelming a little bit? Yeah. It is, right? I know some of you are like, oh, easy, just another day, okay? But like, it's, it's, a, it's a heavy responsibility that we have. How are we going to do it if we're, if we're not doing it with God, right? And that's Jesus' whole point. He's like, I'm going to be with you. You don't have to do that. You don't carry that responsibility on your own. You carry that responsibility empowered by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so we have, we have that as a reason to have confident hope. And then I, I just think that one of the things that we have seen in the life of the church is that fear controls us so easily. But Jesus did not give us a spirit of fear. Amen? He did not give us a spirit of fear. And so 
We might be afraid, but let me tell you right now, we can ask God for help and he can remove that fear and he can ground us in the confident hope that we have as followers of Jesus. And that's what we read in 2 Timothy, right? Paul says that I didn't give you a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, self-discipline, right? So I just don't, I mean, I just don't think that we're called to live our lives controlled by fear and anxiety about the end times. If anything, what we're going to see in the next couple of weeks is that this is a really exciting time to be following Jesus because what we have happen in the last days, in the end times, is an increasing amount of power poured out by God and the kingdom of God continuing to spread and people coming to see Jesus for who he is. I want to be a part of that. Amen? So I want to end with this. This confident hope that we have This applies to people who know Jesus, though, okay? Like the hope that you and I have, it's because of Jesus. That make sense? All right. The problem is is that not everyone who goes to church or checks the box has a relationship with Jesus. And that's why I think there is a reality where some people, I think they should be afraid, (laughs) They should be. In reality, they should be afraid. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. This is, this is heavy. He says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me you who break God's laws. And so the only way we can have confident hope, according to what we're reading here, is if we have a real relationship with Jesus. And a real relationship with Jesus, in according to Jesus' words, is grounded in the reality that we live up to the teachings of Jesus. It is not enough to check a box, folks. Amen? It's also not enough to go to church once in a while. That does not equate to having a relationship with Jesus. It has to be something deeper than that. It has to go deeper than that. It actually impacts the way we live our lives, right? And so that's how we can have confident hope. And so I think, you know, the question is, is when we're weighing whether or not we have hope or we're controlled by fear, if you have a tight relationship with Jesus, you're good, amen? Like you can have hope. I have confident hope. Like, I know, I know what's going to happen to me. Like, this is just part of my life. This is not eternity, okay? But if you don't have that, let me tell you right now, that's why you need to get right with God. That's why you need to turn to Jesus and, and press into following him. Let's stand up together. We're going we're gonna to close with a song in a moment here, but I, I want to share um, something that's been... I guess, kind of the, the application aspect of this. So next week, we're going to talk a little bit about, about Israel and, and the church more. We're going to get into more of a, I guess, in-depth look at that. But here's what, what I think is really, um, really pretty, pretty important for us. So in Matthew 24, if, if you are like, man, Luke, I really want to have the meat of God's word. Because some of you talk like that. Like, I, I need to get some depth. Um, I want to encourage you, if you want to know what, what, what the Bible teaches about the end times, one of the easiest places to go to is a passage of Scripture called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. 
And in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus goes into, he goes into real um, details about the end times. We're going to spend some time looking at it in the next couple of weeks. But this is the passage where if you want to know what Jesus taught about the end times, this is where we should go. Okay, this is partly where Jesus said that he doesn't know the day or the hour. No one knows the day and the hour. That's why people who write books like 1988, <laughs> come on, okay? Um, but this is what, what it says. He, he lays out and he says, listen, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name. Okay? He, he then says, um, they're going to deceive many, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Can we all say check, check? Yeah, right? And then he's gonna, he says that uh, there's going to be nation going against war against other nations, kingdoms against kingdoms. There's going to be famines and earthquakes. Can we all agree in the last 2,000 years, all those things have been happening consistently? Right? Jesus isn't a lie. But then he says this, and this is where I'm like, okay, this is where, where it, he's again laying out the, the qualities and the characteristics of what it's going to look like in the last days. And he says this, he says, um, in, in relation to this, this end time uh, quality and characteristics, he says that the love of many will grow cold. He says the love of many will grow cold. As we enter into the end times and as we, we move into this time where there's, there's more and more pressure, he uses this, this Greek phrase called megasthlipsos, which is this idea of the great persecution or the great tribulation. As we move into this great pressure, as we're moving into that time, the love of many will grow cold, okay? I don't know about you, but I feel like if that's ever been true, it's so true right now, right? I'm watching the news this week, and, and I see that there are groups of people who are, who are talking and calling for the extermination of Jewish people. That's hatred, right? And then there's other people who are calling for the extermination of Palestinian people. That also is hatred. Do we remember Jesus says that we're supposed to love our enemies, right? Like the whole goal and what we're going to see as we look at scripture is that Jesus actually calls the Jewish people to be a light to the nations because he wants the Jewish people to experience salvation and for the nations to experience salvation. And so this whole thing that God's been doing is about God building a family that includes Gentiles and Jews together in the name of Jesus. So I don't know about you, but like the love Love growing cold is the opposite of what the church should be known for. Like if there's anything that we should be known for, it's, it's for our love. Amen? We should be known for our love. Like, and we've been saying this for seven years now. When, when, we, when we think about our church, when people talk about our church, wouldn't it be amazing if people said, man, that church loves people? They can say what else, whatever else they want. But if they say like they love people, we can be like, all right, we've accomplished something. Amen? Let's close our eyes for a moment here. And before we sing the song, um, I, I just had this like really strong sense the last three days. And anybody who's, who's talked to me in the last couple of days knows that I've been, I've been just kind of saying, man, it just seems like this love of many growing cold is like something we need to really pay attention to. And, and it's so easy, like I look back at my life and the times that I've like gotten lukewarm in my faith or I've like gotten not controlled by love, less controlled by love, it happened slowly over time. 
right? And that's what Jesus says. He says, the love of many will grow cold. It does not happen overnight. And my sense is that there are a few of us in this room who, who are, our faith or our love has grown cold. It's, we're not where we were once. And, and so we're not making the impact in people's lives that we once made because when we were on fire for God, we were all in. And maybe now we're not all in. Maybe we've, we've kind of come to the point where it's like, ah, you know, if it's convenient. But Jesus is calling us to be a community that says, we're not going to let our, our love grow cold. We want our fire. We want that fire to remain. We want to be known for our love. We want to impact people's lives because we love them, because we love Jesus, because we love God's kingdom and God's mission. And so if you're here this morning and, and you connect with that at all, you're like, yeah, I, I just feel like maybe I'm just distracted or I've gotten kind of away from, from you know, being 110% passionate about Jesus or yeah, there's some people in my life that, that I really struggle with and I'm, I'm not loving. We want to take a moment and pray for you. Because more than ever in my life right now, there's something unique and special about God's people gathering together, being together, God's Spirit being present, Him responding to us. When we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. He answers our prayers. When we say, come Holy Spirit, He comes. And so if you're here this morning, I'm just going to give you an opportunity right now, wherever you're at, if you just want to put your hand up for one moment because you want to receive prayer, you want, you want the Lord to light up a fire in your life, we're going to take a moment for prayer. Is there anybody in this room that would say, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. I would like to have some prayer. Okay. So here's what we're going to do for just a minute here before we go into a song. Um, if you have your hand, just keep your hand up for a minute. Um, if, if you're okay with somebody praying for you, would you... Look around the room right now. If there's anybody near you that has their hand up, okay, you can look around. I want you to go move near them if you feel comfortable praying. And I want you to pray right now for those people. There's some people over here. Remember, our church believes that everybody gets to play, right? There's no superstar Christians in this room. There's only people who are surrendered to Jesus who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so if you have the Spirit's presence in your life, you're a follower of Jesus, then you get to pray. There's some people, let's put your hand back up if you're okay with that. There's some people right there. Anybody else that wants prayer? This is where you have to pretend that you're a Christian. I don't know what to tell you. One other thing that um, the Lord was speaking to me while Luke was teaching is uh, not only is it, you know, in your personal walk with God, um, where you need more of God's love, but also for um, extended family members too. You know, with everything that has happened in the last four years here, um, our hearts do go grow cold. So if you need prayer for a family member or a close friend, maybe that you're just like, I don't have time for this, <laughs> um, but you want to show them God's love, I would ask that you just ask for prayer for the people uh, that are sitting around you, you know, just say, hey, will you pray for me? I'm struggling right now. Um, my heart has grown really cold towards that person because that person is a child of God. They need a relationship with Jesus as well.